0: Welcome to the Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk, a network for early career researchers. Qualitative research methods are the best for researching many of the why and how questions of the human experience. But early stage researchers are not always fully prepared for the challenges that go with conducting this type of work and sorting the ethics behind conducting these studies. So, today we're talking about the practicalities and realities of doing qualitative research. My name is Lakshani Mendes, and I'm the Research Project Coordinator for the National Institute of Health Research, based at University College London. I'm delighted to welcome first time panelist Sarah Walcook and our regular contributor Yvette Vermeer to today's Dementia Researcher podcast. Sarah is a doctoral student who's over from the Karolinska. Institute in Sweden, and Yvette is a PhD student and sociologist based at UCL. They're both part of the interdisciplinary network for dementia using current technology or INDUCT program. And they're both here to share their experience about conducting qualitative research. So welcome both.
1: Hi. Thank you. Hi.
0: And um, before we get stuck into today's topic, maybe you could just both tell me a little bit more about yourselves. Sarah, if we start with you. <laughs> Great, thank you, Lakshmi.
2: I'm, I'm Sarah, yeah, and I'm from the Karolinska Institute, but originally I'm from Cumbria, up in the north of the country. And, uh, and I'm really interested in how we uh, look at sort of qualitative questions, but within rural contexts, so I'm, I'm interested in the challenges of doing rural research. And my studies are on the access and ability to use everyday technology among people living with and without dementia um, in Cumbria, London, and in Sweden.
0: Great, thanks. Um, And uh, are you receiving any funding for this work at the moment, who's who's funding your research?
2: uh, Yvette and I are both funded through the same funder, so this is the Marie Curie uh, ITN Innovative Training Network, um, and this is the grant through Horizon 2020 with the European Union.
0: Okay, perfect. Um, And Yvette, I know our listeners have probably heard uh, about your work, but if you can remind us about what you're studying. Yeah, of course.
1: as you might uh, hear from my accent, I'm originally from the Netherlands and I um, started here in UCL. And because I'm also part of INDUCT, that entail that I also uh, got an opportunity to go to the Karolinska Institute. So I'm interested in the needs from people living with dementia and family caregivers that our surveillance technologies, for example, trackers or even alarm buttons. Um, And I would like to know what they need in these technologies, and what kind of impact these technologies can have on them in order to see whether and how we can um, empower them. So I focus on people aging at home, who want to remain in their own homes, and I've uh, focused my study on the Netherlands, but also I did a
0: bit of work in Sweden and mostly in the UK. Okay, great. Thanks. Um, so, as I mentioned before, you're both part of the Induct program. Uh, can you give us a bit about a background about what Induct is to our listeners who might not be uh, familiar with it? Yvette, do you want to take yeah. this one?
1: Um, Well, basically, we already covered, like, okay, we actually are from a certain country, but we moved to a different country. And within INDUCT, we got the opportunity to also do our research um, with another organization. And this organization could be, in my experience, um, the example of a university, so the Karolinska University. But it could also be with businesses. And the uh, aim of INDUCT is to train early stage researchers like us to become involved uh, in dementia research with all the help we can get so from universities and non-profit organizations in multiple countries and that's why it's european funded
0: oh great um and how so were you part of the induct program sort of right from the get-go uh when you started your projects and how long has induct been kind of around for
2: yeah, so Induct uh, started its funded period uh, mm. back in March 2016, I believe, So, the, and then it will have been before that the, all the applications were going in, and then we were recruited to start in September 2016. So our projects sort of formed with with sort of skeleton outlines. And then we've been involved in fleshing those out and then making those projects our own and we'll execute them over the next, well, three years for some people. And in Sweden, it's a four year PhD. So some of us will be a little bit longer in the making as well.
0: So talking about your research studies, maybe we can discuss a little bit more about what goes into kind of, you know, conducting um, a a piece of qualitative research. Um, do you wanna, maybe, so is the ethics a good place to start? Is that where you'd start um, you know, putting a study together? Well, that's how I started. <laughs> yeah, it's how I started too. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I um, immediately got the idea like, okay, my study will be about the needs from users. So basically I have to ask them what they need. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to do focus groups from the beginning of my research. So I started with the um, ethics application of course, never have done this in the UK. I didn't know what a (laughs) big challenge this was. But I also wanted to involve people in Sweden and in the Netherlands. But in Sweden, um, this was difficult because I'm not Swedish. And yeah, a lot of... uh, things had changed and the one in the uk was so time demanding that i also just had to drop something Mm. um which was a pity but then again i have so much information and i did a ppi group so um, including people with dementia as advisors so they're all the ways around but i definitely started with getting my ethics yes
0: so then do you think that um actually that process of um you know getting your ethics sorted it makes you think more about You know how you're going to be conducting your study and the practicalities around doing that and stuff as well.
2: Absolutely, yeah, I mean it really helps you to get the ball rolling with setting up lots of partnerships locally and getting in touch with organisations and really engaging them from the outset in what it is you want to do, the purpose for it and how you hope that lives will change as a result of it. I mean for me it was slightly complicated by being based in Sweden at the time so I couldn't just, you know, knock on people's doors and go and have a chat, I think it might work like this or I think it might work like that. So. That was an added complication, and then you also need legal representation from a from an organisation in the UK, and that's that's where my collaboration with UCL is really much deepened and um, and really helped by that as well. So um, and it's also very useful to have supervision from from an organisation in the UK that understands things like the Mental Capacity Act and mm-hmm. and and the challenges around like the governance of of research in the UK, because you really want that practical support on the ground as well.
0: Great. And so what do you think your top lessons are from going through that process then for our early career researchers who may be, you know, at the start of that process? I think for me, it's about
2: being open to changing your plans mm-hmm. um, and really working with people. I think I think that process of engagement and involvement can start as early as possible and, and people can have a say in how you intend to recruit Um They've got a better idea of how it will work inside their own systems and, and their own the sort of own own capacity what they've got time for and and what mediums they need to mm-hmm. be handing out to people and when they need it what what time period what lead in they want for that sort of thing so these are all really useful conversations to have in advance but uh, sometimes it can be a bit chicken and egg so it's like trying to understand how we make the egg together before we create the chicken. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah okay. talking about the chicken and acting i um I had such a set plan before I began, and I made all my questions and luckily, um because I have previous experience with doing focus groups, um I was able to get this through the ethics committee. Mm-hmm. but actually, in reality, when I asked those questions, I
0: didn't get the response I thought I would right yeah, yeah. I know that's that's good to know, so I'm um, focusing a little bit more about your actual studies now, I think we we got a brief overview, um, but can you highlight what qualitative methods you use to answer your research questions?
2: For me it was a semi-structured mm-hmm. interviews um, and I should be, this is the theoretical sampling so a lot of my research is actually statistical in nature, they're standardised questionnaires um, but from the responses in those questionnaires you get quite a lot of rich data already mm. about the person so and uh, as I mentioned it focuses on technology. So in those questionnaires, people are telling me about the technologies that they use. I talked about everyday technology before, so often people think about the, you know, the more sexy technologies, mm-hmm. touchscreens and this, that, and the other. But I'm talking about hand stick blenders and microwaves as well. Uh, so I can really pick up from the person what what in. A general sense we might think of as mundane aspects, uh, but for that person, they might be really important. Mm-hmm. And and as an occupational therapist, that's what I'm really interested in: what's important to that individual, and and what connections do they have in their environment. Um, so I was able to come back with this semi-structured interview for a sort of theoretical sampling process done through all the rich data that's gathered in the first in the first structured parts of it, uh, to have a much more open conversation and just had some fabulous conversations and really interesting stories from people about their relationships with technology.
0: That's awesome. Yvette, what about you? Well, I already said I did focus
1: groups, but Mm. I also did some online discussions Mm -hmm. uh, with people with dementia and family caregivers. And um, besides asking about their needs, I also looked at the surveillance technologies and how they're being sold online. And what this uh, included was looking at pictures and websites, doing a thematic analysis. So looking at what sort of science do they use to try to sell these surveillance technologies. So very, very qualitative, yeah.
0: Mm. Um, So I guess because you almost have, you know, a couple of approaches then there in terms of the methods you're using, um, can you... Talk about how you planned for the recruitment process and then the data collection of it, you know, the practicalities around that, doing sort of semi structured um, interviews and focus groups, and, you know, I guess the logistics behind that as well.
2: Hmm. Well, I think for me, it was like developing these close partnerships with like the NHS locally. Um, they were so open and they talked about how, you know, a lot of the the clients that they were working with as occupational therapists don't get much of an opportunity to take part in research, and that a lot of them were asking, really wanted that chance to do it, um, really wanted to be listened to, and be able to contribute in a positive way when you know you're faced with quite a difficult diagnosis. Um, so that was, for me, what I really wanted to tap into was their passion for getting people involved and then it for me the recruitment process was about how can I make it easy for you and then connecting in with like local community groups because as I mentioned it's also people without dementia mm. so whilst all the people with dementia did come through the NHS uh, the sort of voluntary groups uh, the Cumbria Dementia Strategy Group and the Dementia Action Alliances were really instrumental in helping me get hold of the sort of comparison groups
1: of participants. Great. And Yvette? Um, I got help from Alzheimer Europe Mm. and Alzheimer Netherlands. And recruitment for me was difficult. I would suggest also early stage researchers to aim high. Mm. So my aim was to have three focus groups. Um, In the end, I had so many last-minute cancellations. And that's not because they're not interested. They all were, but especially family caregivers had last-minute things coming up because they care for someone, of course, 24-7. So for me, it was very much about acceptance. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. that's also the reason why I planned uh, beforehand to do the online discussion, so that at least I would have some data.
0: No, that's a good point and um, I'm just gonna plug in joint dementia research here <laughs> if you're recruiting more UK based studies I know um, Sarah and I talked about you know when you're doing kind of maybe an international collaboration I don't know how easy it is um, to use joint dementia research kind of as a resource to find participants but definitely for UK based studies we've had a lot of positive feedback um, so just my little plug there mm-hmm. um, And um, in terms of locality, um, I mean, Sarah, obviously your heart is in um, Cumbria area, which is why is that why you sort of did, you know, the majority of research based in the area? Because we chatted about maybe participants in the area not getting the chance to be involved in this kind of dementia research as well. Absolutely. And I
2: think when we think about things like the technological divide, or the urban rural divide, it kind of comes across in different ways. And And so it's important for me that I can look at that rural picture and compare it with an urban picture, you know, Do people in rural areas relate to technology in the same way, use it in the same way, for the same purposes? Does it mean the same things to them? Does it present the same opportunities? What challenges go along with it? What barriers? And, you know, whilst it's not some of those more qualitative aspects, it's not going to be possible for me to compare with an urban sample. But on that pattern level, when I look at the statistical stuff, I will be able to see whether or not there's any differences. And... um, and I think it's quite reasonable. You know, when I'm driving to a client's appointment, I, I come across the top of the fell and all of a sudden my phone thinks I'm in the island man and starts <laughs> yeah. charging me roaming. And <laughs> and it, it's like things like that, you know, there's just pockets where you can't yeah. get access to the internet or you can't get on your mobile. And and that, that increases the challenges as well of working in rural areas. You know, if you suddenly stuck with a flood or whatever and you've got no reception you cannot get hold of the person that you're trying to to meet up with so and word of mouth is much more important in these areas trust and relationships um, uh, tend to be vital to it working Mm -hmm. as well so uh, for me it was good to be able to go back to an area where I feel like I've I've got those relationships in place and I can build that trust and I understand a little bit of how it is to be a rural person and I can bring a bit of that with me
0: oh that's great um and Eva do you find it challenging so um you know like you said you're from the Netherlands if you're trying to build that trust aspect um does that come into play or I mean what do you mean with the trust aspect uh so with your participants when you're you know like in recruitment and getting people to join the study and things like that does that come into play locality and where you're based or you saw there's
1: a very bigger story than than i have time to um talk about (laughs) but i actually did my focus groups in the netherlands right because i couldn't get it done here in the uk so definitely locality is a big thing for me yeah yeah
0: okay think that's something to remember then and, and keep in mind, I guess, as well. So yeah, um, setting up a study for the first time can be challenging, particularly, you know, if the idea you're trying to research is new to you, it's quite an inno- innovative kind of study. Um, and there are obviously lots of sensitivities around involving people with dementia as well. um. I know, you know, Sarah, you come from an occupational therapist kind of background, so maybe you had those skills, but if, you, if you're in an early career stage and you're maybe not as skilled with working uh, with this group of people, um, that's maybe something to get your head around as well as you're conducting these studies. Um, so how, how do you, do you have any advice for, you know, preparing for the data collection methods? around what you can expect you know do you do any practice around you know with your colleagues and things like that
2: yes I think it's really good to practice um but I think I think one one thing that's interesting to touch on in this conversation is the idea of preparing for the unexpected because Mm. I I think I've reflected a lot of going do I really agree with that concept like can you prepare for the unexpected or or do you just want to allow the unexpected to be unexpected you know all types of people are unpredictable you don't want to know what they're going to say or how they're going to respond necessarily if you could predict all that what's the point in doing it but being really open and being really accepting and for, for my research this has been all about believing what people tell me you know uh, luckily we're kind of out of that phase of research now where people with dementia aren't listened to as, as easily or, mm. or it's thought that that you know a carer might have a, a better perspective mm. or uh, or they it needs to be counterbalanced in some way. We've all got different perspectives on our own reality and on somebody else's reality and you know, I maybe that maybe that becomes more pronounced in dementia and maybe it doesn't i don't know but it's like respecting those different perspectives and allowing people to just speak for themselves and taking what you find and running with it i think is a really good thing to be able to do
0: that's really good advice um yeah i would like to add something to that
1: um i was someone Um, I am someone that's always fully prepared and I even know, like, okay, unexpected things will happen. Um, Even though I have previous experience with working with people with dementia, I would suggest for early stage researchers to also have... um, emotionally support uh, Mm -hmm. available because when i did the focus groups i okay the one moment we are laughing and it's hilarious and the other moment the participants were talking about suicide and that they couldn't go on anymore and i mean i don't have a heart of stone you know i also feel so i would yeah i'm not saying this will happen for everyone but yeah you never know what's going to happen yeah You, you work with people I think that's such an important point of that it's like it's
2: even even when I'm dealing with a subject like everyday technology you never know when you're gonna light an emotional touch paper for somebody or it's gonna feel difficult and and uh, for me as well it was about being trying to be really open about do I do I have am I really prepared to walk away from this interview after Mm -hmm. I've left the house at like 7am I've driven through floods and crazy rain and miles and miles it's taken me two hours to get here Mm. and when I arrive on the doorstep of course the person doesn't necessarily remember that I'm coming today Mm. um and they've got somebody with them who did not know I was coming today and is suspicious of me you know this 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 person this family member and and I'm I'm trying to analyse the situation really, really fast. Is this is this something I should step away from, and be prepared to say, okay, today's not the day. Let's let's do it another time, or do I work through it in the moment? And that y- your emotions are complicated by whatever baggage you've you've brought with you that morning. And um, and and trying to be be ready, be emotionally ready to step aside. And and I I agree that's when having somebody to call (laughs) to just sort of talk things through is really, really useful.
0: Great. No, that's really important advice, I think. Um, And, you know, something that we maybe don't hear so much about as well because, so, you know, you can get really focused on kind of the logistics around it and things like that. Um, So you've both raised a good point about thinking about yourself as a researcher and how you kind of mentally prepare for that situation. Um, and so we've already talked about this, um, you know, just handling challenging situations because it almost never goes to plan, does it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so would you advise, like your biggest piece of advice is just being able to be flexible enough to go with it? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> just be a rock star. Just yeah. Just do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. <laughs> um, and, you know, we've talked about the challenging situations, but what what's the, you know... Better experiences. What are your, what are your highlights that you've gotten from doing qualitative research?
1: Mine is easy. People were so enthusiastic and so empowered. They just wanted to become involved. It was amazing. Mm.
0: It's yeah. amazing.
1: Yeah, the
2: stories I heard, uh, the the hospitality of people, um, their generous spirit and desire to share with you, um, even when there wasn't necessarily lots of things to say uh people would still be really generous about you know sharing with you their perspective and that that was it's it's so touching to have that and it's such a privilege to have that and that's why I think it's so important that we go on to share those stories and don't don't keep them away and things like that my favorite one was uh poisoning the rats because uh this was the moment where I was uh, interviewing a, a gentleman. who was talking to me about a problem with the TV aerial and, and suddenly this rat scurried up the bird table <laughs> behind him and uh, and that and that was it. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I was like, oh, there's a rat on the bird table. I've no idea what you're saying anymore. <laughs> like, I need to I need to um I need to tell you <laughs> there's a rat. And so we stopped the interview and go outside and poison rats for a bit and um <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think personally that would have been a challenging (laughs) aspect for me, not quite a highlight, but no, that's good. I thought we were going to chase them away or something, but no,
2: no, we just poisoned them, (laughs) (laughs) went for a walk and came back and finished the interview later.
0: Oh, (laughs) oh, that's great. Um, And maybe coming back to more, I guess, the logistics side of doing this kind of research, I mean, uh, we were just chatting before about the travel that goes you know along with doing this kind of work um, and obviously as part of the Indi program as well both of you have sort of done you know cross-continental visits and things like that um so how do you budget for travel and time and you know how how do you consider that aspect of things mm-hmm. I, for me it's knowing that it, it
2: making sure that it is budgeted and mm-hmm. um in a place like I've got a project management background so we were used to like making like a 20% travel budget for for everything that we did and cost out what my time is per interview in a sense so I treat it in that way of trying to work out okay so half a day here cost out is roughly that uh, 20% of that is this and this is what I'm going to need to travel around this area and get this job done Um, and then for me that was that creates a sense of freedom um, of like I'm going to be okay here to work within this budget because it can get really expensive um, to do all that travel yeah
1: yeah and uh, also what my supervisor recommended was what i really liked is only go to conferences uh, (laughs) where you're able to give a presentation yeah so that's good yeah not just do visit and okay it's not the best um, advice ever but if you are low on uh, funds then yeah definitely go for
0: that hmm And maybe picking and choosing the ones that you think would be, you know, most beneficial to what you're doing as well. Yeah. Mm. Awesome. So we've touched on a few, um, you know, interesting stories and really good advice. Um, What's your take-home message for our early career researchers who are listening? If you can kind of wrap it up, I guess, everything we've been chatting up about.
2: For me, it's try to enjoy it, um, be open and generous in what you're doing, and you'll reap that in return. Great.
1: Thanks. Yeah, and also just, um, okay preparation. You can do preparation and try to do mock-up questions or anything. Just discuss it with your colleagues. But then again, also be flexible with the
0: unexpected. Awesome. So thanks, both. I think, well, I've learned a lot sort of uh, around the practicalities and realities of what doing qualitative research is like. Uh, It sounds like you've both got incredible uh, projects that are going on. Um, And, yeah, I guess the biggest thing is to be, you know, make sure you do the planning stage right, Mm. so get your ethics sorted, your budgeting done, but then being flexible enough with the process and just... um, yeah, just kind of running with it. Um, and also I think a really good point you brought up uh, was just being mentally prepared for that data collection phase um, and around making sure that, you know, you're kind of protecting yourself as well and just having that support person, I guess, to turn to is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, so sadly, that brings us to the end of today's podcast. Um, but I would like to thank you both, Sarah and Yvette, for joining us and giving up your time. Um, I believe you're both on Twitter as well. Are you happy for people to contact you there? Um, Most definitely, please
2: do. Yes. I'm, I'm at Sarah underscore Wallcook, and that's Sarah with an H, and my surname's W-A-L-L-C-O-O-K.
0: Great, and Yvette, what's your Twitter <laughs>
1: handle? Oh, yeah, I'm not good at <laughs> spelling. Um, that's a Y underscore and then Vermeer. <laughs> Great.
0: <laughs> Um, And your details will be up on our site with our bios and stuff anyway. So (laughs) it will be great. Um, Listeners, if you have anything else to uh, add on this topic, you can post your comments in our forum on the website. So that's dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk. And drop us a line on Twitter using the hashtag ECRDementia. Please get in touch with us if you would like to come into the studio like Yvette and Sarah have done and chat to us about your own work. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to our Dementia Researcher podcast. We're on uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, and even Spotify now, so it's even easier to listen to our podcast. Um, And don't forget to leave us a review. I mean, preferably five stars, of course, but that's totally up to you. And tell all your friends and colleagues about us. Thank you for listening. This was a podcast brought to you by Dementia Researcher. Everything you need in one place. Register today at dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk